0: Let's go over and say hello to Dr. Carl Helvie, H-E-L-V-I-E. He's a nationally recognized health practitioner and widely publicized author who has developed multiple strategies for healthy and anti-aging and holistic aging. He is currently a professor emeritus of nursing at Old Dominican University in Virginia, and he received the Distinguished Career in Public Health Award from the American Public Health Association. Thirty-one years ago, Dr. Helvey, had terminal lung cancer and was given six months to live. Well, he turned around and cured himself naturally. He's now 74 years of age and free of all chronic illnesses and has not taken any prescription drugs. He is also the author of a new book called Healthy Holistic Aging. Nice to have you with us today.
1: Thank you, Gary. I'm happy to be with you. I just had a birthday also, so I'm now 75, but everything still fits. Well, good. Well, <laughs>
0: biologically, you know, you're only half halfway there.
1: Right. Right. Yep.
0: I believe that people need a uh, they need a primer on how what we call aging in our society is really not aging. It's premature aging. We're looking at we're looking at a model that has not been established yet, with yourself and others who have shown what they can do, versus the average American who makes little or no attempt. To understand why their cells die, why their skin ages, their hair falls out, their memory falters, their heart becomes clogged, uh, the arteries, uh, why they develop cancer. They're not they're not focused on this. They're more focused on American Idol. They're more focused on foolish things that have nothing to do with their health. So I'd like for you to take a step-by-step. First, how you cured yourself of, of terminal lung cancer. I want to know about that. And then as a dynamic healthy 75 year old, what is your prescription for this aging process? All right? Take okay. your time. there's no commercials. we are okay. We don't rush anyone.
1: Uh, well, with the cancer, this was thirty one years ago. I had a dream that uh, told me to go for a chest x-ray and I was in a search for God group uh, many years, the Acy non-denominational groups where you try to be better people and you develop uh, spiritually and you meditate and you pray, etc. And I'm a a big believer in a, uh, uh, well, I call it God, but in a higher being that directs us if we're open to being directed. And so I think things like dreams are God speaking to me. And so I had a dream and I went to my doctor and I asked for an x-ray and he said, well, are you having any symptoms? And I said, no. And he said, well, why do you want an x-ray? I said, well, I just want one because I knew he wouldn't understand. So they found a spot that had not been there six years previous, I mean, a year previously. So they put me in the hospital and they did biopsies. And the next thing the surgeon comes in and I said, wait a minute. I said, I'm not having surgery. I said, I never make snap decisions. I go home. I think about it. I make a rational decision. I pray about it. I talk with people about it. Your responsibility is to tell me the pros and the cons of surgery. Well, he said, you'll be dead in six months without surgery. And I said, but that's my responsibility. Your responsibility, again, is to tell me the pros and cons of surgery. So I came home, and I talked with a good, close friend, and she referred me to a physician in Northern Virginia who had had a lot of success working with Leotril with cancer patients And at the National Institute of Health. And they closed down the program for obvious reasons. And so he was still practicing. And so I went, well, first she also um, told me she would get me a psychic reading if I wanted by someone that she thought was one of the best in the country. And So we got a reading and she was gonna also watch her dreams. I watched my dreams. Everything was against surgery. So I went to the physician and he put me on a diet that was primarily raw fruit and vegetables with a minimal amount of cooked uh, vegetables and almost no protein. And uh, there was grains and um, uh, nuts and things like that. But I didn't take dairy and I didn't have meat or anything. I uh, took Laetrile that he prescribed. I took a variety of vitamins and enzymes to aid the digestion, etc. Uh, I prayed every day. I meditated. I used visualization. I called Olga Worrell, who is a psychic healer in Baltimore, Maryland, who has since uh, died, and she put me on her prayer list. I called several churches, and they put me on their prayer list. I went back every three months, but I didn't tell him I was doing anything. And after two years, he said he guessed he had made the wrong diagnosis. But my friend who was professor of pediatrics when I taught at Duke University, and at this point he is the medical director for Blue Cross Blue Shield, wanted to see the x-rays, the lab work, and, and all of the tests. So I took those to him in North Carolina, and he confirmed that it had been lung cancer. So... Um,
0: what type of lung cancer? Small cell? Yeah. And that's, I, that's the I worst.
1: Think, I mean, uh, that was 31 years ago. All right. Uh, so I don't really remember Gary, but...
0: Uh, now, you've spent much of your life, um, especially with the Old Dominion University in Virginia, mm-hmm. which is a you know, faith-based institution. Right. Mm-hmm. You've spent your life honoring your higher calling you you've you've uh, done community work you've helped individuals Mm -hmm. you live a spiritual existence right right what does it tell us as a society when so little of what we do today is spiritually based individuals certainly but not as a society look at Wall Street look at the greed look at look at uh, the pharmaceutical companies look at the greed look at many doctors in fact um, uh, well, the Bristol-Myers Squibb just had to pay a $510 million fine today mm-hmm. right. for kickbacks. Right. <clears throat> they were paying doctors to prescribe their drugs, whether or not they were safe or effective. So the innocent patient comes in believing that the only way they can approach a disease is what the doctor says, not knowing the doctor's on the kickback. Right. And then you look at television. In fact, I made a challenge today uh, to Oprah Winfrey. I I asked my audience, I said, here's a woman with, quite simply, the largest audience of any personality in America, Mm
2: -hmm. and that
0: means she has enormous power. Now, why doesn't she just take one topic at a time? And I gave an example of what would she say if a 10-year-old boy came up to her and says, I have adult diabetes, heart disease, arthritis, I am on kitty cocaine, Ritalin, I'm Mm -hmm. on seven other medications, I've been also diagnosed with bipolar, and yet I'm just a kid... And if, could you go to the networks that broadcast your programs and say it is wrong for them to advertise the junk food on Saturday mornings that I grew up on that caused me to be overweight, to have heart disease, to have arthritis, to have these conditions? Could you say that that's immoral and unethical, and you want your audience to boycott that network if they're not going to demand that those ads to be taken off the air? Now, Oprah has one or two choices. She, she either says, yes, you're worth fighting for or no, kid. My income, my lifestyle, my private jets and my mega homes—they're more important. Now she's going to do one or the other, or she'll right, spin right. it. Mm-hmm. But I believe that when people have that kind of power, let them use it for major good. That can right. really then send a message to others who say, "Hey, well, if Oprah stood up and made some risks, and that's that's courageous. Mm-hmm. Why can't we?" But until that it happens, and one time she did, and I commend her for it, she went after the meat, and they they went after her. Right. I even volunteered my services to come in as an mm-hmm. expert witness and testify on mm-hmm. her behalf. Now we go after people all the time, whole industries, but this is not being done, as you well know, right. anywhere mm-hmm. in the United States by major, um, major advocates within the establishment. It may be from the oh. counterculture outside, but what, what does it say, and here's my final connection to the mm-hmm. point, what mm-hmm. does it say about us as a society who are living having junk thoughts Junk spirituality, like the, the secret, you know, get everything you need overnight by reading this book, watching this right, film, which right. is nonsense, which right. she also advocates. And or let's be, grow up and be responsible and understand that if we don't know something, we have a responsibility to find the truth, as you and others have done, so that we no longer have people becoming sick and dying who shouldn't. Your thoughts, right. please. Take your time.
1: Well, I think that that's why many of my friends are in Europe and they tell me, you're not an American, you're, uh, you're not like other American males. And I say, well, what are other American, American males like? And they say, they watch uh, um, they watch the ball games on television, they smoke, they drink, they have poor dietary habits and so forth. And you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't watch television, you don't do any of these things. But, you know, I think sometimes when you go through an experience that you may die or you may live, it changes you, and I think that's happened with a lot of people that I've read about. You know, they've had life-threatening experiences, or they've had the, you know, um, not a death experience, I can't think of the name of it, where you you die and then you come back. Near-death experience. And, right, yeah, and they, they seem to change after that. But... I agree with you. There is so much greed and so much um, people wanting power and all in this country. And for what? You know, it's like the whole cancer. There are so many things that work with cancer that are not debilitating, like the, the drugs that they want to give you. You know, I have a friend in Woodstock, New York now, and she's been taking herbal treatments for two years. She's great you can function when you're doing these things. When I took the Laetrile, I was able to go to work every day. It wasn't debilitating like people that go on the drugs, you know, but it's the drug companies that are making money from that. They don't make a lot of money off herbs. They didn't make a lot of money off Laetrile. So I think that, you know, we don't have good role models to begin with at the federal level. You know, there again, you've got people that are into greed. I mean, We go off and we attack a country, and I'm getting off the subject, Gary, so forgive me. But, you know, again, I see that as greed. So we don't have a lot of good role models. You mentioned Oprah. You know, I think that the little bit I've watched her, she does have a good heart and all, but as you say, she's not out there doing things that are going to change all of this. So I feel like the best thing I can do is in my own little sphere, sphere, I try to, you know, treat everyone as a very important person in my life, try to follow through and do what I tell people I'm going to do, try to live an example that I think somewhat emulates what I believe and what is the spiritual, you know, aspect of life. And I also try to do that when I've been doing the radio programs. My feeling is if I reach one person each program that I do, then it was well worth it because if someone is interested in making changes in their life so that they live a more healthy life, then you know, what more can you ask for?
0: Well, you're right. let let me go to I'm going to go to four areas with you, all right. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay.
0: And by the way, the other night I gave a, a lecture to a packed house out on Long Island. And uh, I got up and I, I simply said, my entire intent being here tonight mm-hmm. is to get you angry. Uh, mm-hmm. Because only by getting you angry will you wake up enough right. to say, <laughs> why in the world wasn't I paying attention? Or you'll say, okay, I don't want to do anything about it and go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. We, we are almost, we are... We are anesthetized today. We're we're in a almost a um, a euphoric state of of denial. We deny okay. we deny our selfishness, we deny our motives, we deny individually and, and collectively as a country. We deny that the we, we, we say we care about our children, then we give them junk foods and then we over medicate them and then we give them uh we give them titles that are not real, like bipolar okay. and children. There's no bipolar in children. Children right. are naturally going to be bipolar. They're going to be happy one moment, screaming right. and, and sad and right. crying the next. Everyone who's ever had a kid knows that. What you, but there, and today, that'll get you a bipolar diagnosis. So I believe that we have to wake up, and, and I, I believe we shouldn't always have to wait to a crisis to take a proactive uh, stance in our lives. Now, mm-hmm. here are the areas I'd like for you to address, please. One is I believe that we have been almost more bundling negligent about nursing home and senior citizens. Mm -hmm. And it was um, 12 years ago that a nurse, in fact, she was a nurse administrator who came to my lecture, and uh, she was just curious and she wanted to know what all this is about. And after that, she was moved enough to do her own detox. I helped her. She overcame hepatitis, herpes, uh, cytomegalovirus, fibrocystic breasts, chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, she had all these conditions, fibroid tumors. Today, she has none of those, totally gone. She went into holistic nursing mm-hmm. and one of the programs she went into actually was motivated by what you had done. I wasn't aware of this. You mm-hmm. had, you, you're one of the pioneers, most people don't know this, in holistic nursing concepts in this society. And, uh, and today, she is a holistic nurse practitioner. She lectures mm-hmm. around the United States motivating other nurses who are know the system doesn't work well-intentioned people who are not working at the highest end of their their capacity. And now we see that the senior citizens and those who need care, and even the homeless people who don't get any quality care, that more likely than not it will not be a physician. It will be a health care attendant or even a nurse that will be the person that's responsible for helping these individuals. And we have a lot of homeless and and disadvantaged Mm -hmm. individuals not getting any kind of care. So that's the first thing I'd like for you to talk about.
1: Okay, uh, as far as the nursing homes, let me give you an example. When I was working on my doctorate at um, Hopkins, I decided that I wanted to work a couple days a week at a nursing home because I had not had that kind of an experience. So I went to the nursing home, and right off, you know, I go around, and I see patients that are incontinent. So I said to the aide, come and help me, and we'll change Mrs. So-and-so. She said, oh, no, we don't do that. We do that at the change of the shift. I said, but, you know, she's incontinent. She needs to be changed. And they said, no, no, we don't do that. We only do it once during the eight-hour shift. I said, but I wouldn't want to lay in this, and, and I don't want my patients to lay in this. Oh, no, she said. So she complained to the nursing director. I'm not the nursing director. The homeowner, the owner of the nursing home. And she called me in and she said, well, she said, just sit in the office and go around and get the report. And I said, but I couldn't do that. I said, that's not, I take, I took an oath, you know, as far as my patients and all as a nurse, and I couldn't do that. And she said, well, you're going to have to. And I said, no, no, I can't stay if that's what the position you're going to put me in. And so I left. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't do that, but. So the patients continue to get bad care. But the other thing I've seen since then, I've taken students to the nursing home and I see everyone is on a held all. They medicate them all. They sedate them all. So they just sit there so they don't have to do anything with them. Instead of getting them up, you know, exercising and, and the diet is not that good, you know, with the elderly and and they're not, you know, they're not doing the things that they need to be doing to stay active. I mean, I would be in there, Having them do a little exercise program, I'd be trying to teach them to meditate and and to visualize or to do all the alternate things that I do, but they just want they don't want them they don't want to be bothered. So and with the homeless again, um, I talked with Richard when we talked earlier. I, my most rewarding experience or one of my most rewarding was uh, I had a grant for eight hundred thousand dollars and I opened a nursing center for homeless and low-income people. And we saw about 150 people a month. We gave very comprehensive care. Uh, For example, if they couldn't come in and get their medications, my nurse practitioner dropped them off on the way home. Uh, If they had social service forms to fill out, she would sit and help them fill out. I mean, this was all okay it was what I call comprehensive care as well as we could do with that population. And they were most so appreciative of everything that we did for them. And they told us, you know, we picked up things like hypertension, like cancer, diabetes, all kinds of of health problems that had never been cared for because they had no source of primary care. And so several of them told my nurse practitioner that she had saved their lives because they would not have survived had they not gone through this. It was just a wonderful experience, and it also was wonderful in that I got the community all involved because I would go out and I would talk with the people in the pharmacy and say, can you help me with medications because I'm the grant I only had medications for the homeless, but when I'd see a mother come in with her child I'd say, well, we're gonna provide the medications for that child somehow. And so the pharmacies would give me medications at cost plus $4. I got $1,000 a month for lab work from one of the hospitals. I got half price on x-rays from another hospital. Um, I got a group of dentists that would give me dental care for half price. We got a group of physicians that would, if they needed surgery, they would provide that service. So we were able to expand much, much, much our services, but also we were to extend them much longer than what the grant period was. So it was, uh, you know, a population that had not had care, that was most appreciative, and, and it was a very rewarding experience for both my nurse practitioner and for me.
0: Good. Thank you. Let's go to the next issue, and that is we are not living a healthy life however long we live, and the body can live at least 150 years. I, I was just the keynote speaker at the World Congress mm-hmm. on Anti-Aging Medicine four weeks ago in Chicago, and uh, and I asked how many people in this room, and there were thousands of men and women from all over the world in this room. There are 20,000 members of the World mm-hmm. Congress on Anti-Aging Medicine. How many believe that we could live 100 and 30 years in, in good health, every hand went up. Mm-hmm. How many believe 150 years in ideal health, and about 80% of the hands went up? I says, how many believe that within the next 10 years we'll have the understanding of rejuvenation of the cell that we could live a long time, even 200 years, and about 30% of the hands went up? Now, these these are people who spend their lives in this field, and yet not nothing about this was shown in the American media as if, Mm -hmm. No one knows this is happening. Tell us your understanding of the aging process, what your prescription for long life is, and be as detailed as possible.
1: Well, before I tell you what I do, I think that, you know, part of the problem is society's problem, and again, it goes back to the greed, Gary, that you mentioned earlier. You know, when you get into genetically engineered foods, you know, that's problematic, and yet the public don't know what foods are genetically engineered and which ones aren't. And yet the research shows that, for example, there were tomatoes that the rats would need, and they force-fed the rats the tomatoes, and they developed abscesses in their intestinal tract and died. I mean, this is just one piece of research that they've done on the genetically engineered foods. And they want to develop foods where you have to buy the seeds every year. You can't get seeds from the vegetable and, and plant it again. They're you called know,
0: term- but, terminator
1: seeds. Right, right. And then you've got the mercury because there has not been proper control of the uh, power plants and all. And so you've got mercury that's going into the water supply and then it uh, the fish eat it and then it goes and the bigger the fish gets the more concentrated it gets. So you've got problems if you eat Fish very often because of the mercury level then you've got the farm-grown salmon that also is problematic because it gives off fumes that are toxic you know and then this year look at all of the recalls we had we had the recalls with spinach we had with with the uh, lettuce you know and then of course the children's toys and all this all kinds of recalls so i think part of the problem is with the environment and you know i did a um And uh, I was interviewed about three weeks ago for an article on organic food and she said to me when did you start eating organic food and I said before I was born and she said why I said because we were poor and the technology there was no technology I said we grew our own fruit and vegetables there was no fertilizer Uh, there I mean I'm sorry there were no pesticides We used horse manure or cow manure, I don't remember which, as the fertilizer. There was no food additives. We grew our own pigs and our own cows. We killed those for the winter. I mean, at that time, I ate cows. I don't eat beef anymore. I still eat chicken, but I don't eat beef. But, you know, there was no antibiotics. There was no growth hormones. Uh, There was no food additives. We went to the dairy. We got milk. It was unhomogenized, unpasteurized. My mother skimmed the cream off for coffee, so we drank skim milk. So, I mean, everything was so healthy, but, you know, I you couldn't do that now. And so, as a consumer, you have to be very alert to what it is that you're putting in your body because of the greed and all of this you know the the way things are grown now it's it's just not healthy as far as what I do, I rely as I say heavily on a higher being, you know because I feel like I will be directed to what I should eat and what I shouldn't eat, but I try to stay very much with what I ate when I had lung cancer, a lot of um raw fruit and vegetables, and I eat a salad probably 360 days a year for lunch. At night, I'll eat uh, some, uh, well, maybe I'll eat fish once a week. I'll have uh, cooked vegetables at night. I'll have a piece of fruit. For breakfast, I almost always have uh, shredded wheat uh, with fruit usually a banana and some strawberries and some pecans. And, that's, and then if I get hungry before I go to bed, I may have some oatmeal, uh, which is very good for you. So I try to stay pretty much with the fruit, vegetables, uh, grains, nuts, and a minimal amount of uh, meat. Uh, I eat chicken. I occasionally will eat pork and about once a week I'll eat fish because of the mercury level, but I never, I haven't eaten beef in years. So, and that has worked well for me.
2: Well,
0: a couple thoughts for you here. Uh, Uh You mentioned that you were saved from terminal cancer by your using a holistic approach, including a a Laetra, which is also known as Mm amygdalin. A little sidebar to that, at the time that that was being popularized, the, um, the mainstream medical community says there's no value to it. Right, in fact, right. if anything, it's, it's toxic because it comes from the apricot kernel and that has some byproduct cyanide mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. But I was uh, working closely with someone over at Sloan Kettering at that time. Mm-hmm. I was a scientist at the Institute of Applied Biology. And mm-hmm. the most famous scientist at Sloan Kettering was Dr. Sugiera. Mm-hmm. And he had done more work on Laetrile than anyone else, and he had remarkable results. So one day I went over to interview him, and I'm sitting there talking with him, and he's just saying, yes, um, there is enormous benefit to Laetrile, but it's almost impossible that this is ever going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. I said, why? He said, well, because it's not expensive and it can't be patented. Right, right. <laughs> And he said, that, he, said I'm, "He said I'm going to tell you that's just the reality of the world we live in. Well, he went on to publish some articles on mm-hmm and how it helped in the rat models he was using to have a statistically significant remission in the cancers of the animals he tested. Mm -hmm. Now, his name never came up, so they kept him out of the debate because had he been a part of the debate as the senior researcher at Sloan Kettering, and one of the most respected uh, scientists on anti-cancer work in in the world, Mm -hmm. uh, he would have swung the... The, the vote over to, to the pro position, but right. he wasn't. On the separately, you talk about being a part of the um, Edgar Casey group. Mm-hmm. Edgar Casey, who was called the Sleeping Prophet, mm-hmm. would, um, would make uh, in his dream state, which either be a, something we would call deep meditation, he would then come up with a prescription. And he gave out thousands and thousands and thousands of prescriptions, over 15,000 prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Well, later... a a professor of pharmacology got a hold of the original prescription notes and four different conditions now mind you casey had no medical background he he didn't do Mm -hmm. any diagnosing he would just say here's what you need Mm -hmm. and sometimes these were the oddest of you know very strange uh, prescriptions he would give people but when this pharmacologist began to review the scientific literature on each of the ingredients in his prescriptions for the condition given, he found, to his amazement, they actually had a basis in science. Mm -hmm. Now, because they were so diverse and he had strange combinations, no one, no doctor, anyone else knew all this. So it wasn't as if he had studied it or could have known about it. And this was 30 years after his death. Mm-hmm. when a lot of this wasn't even known at the time to any scientists at that time because they hadn't done any research. So this was post uh, postmortem research. So here is quite simply one of the most remarkable human beings ever live in America who has never gotten the credit he deserves. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. And, uh, and one of the things he recommended for cancer was six almonds a day. Right. And guess right. what? Mm-hmm. Almonds have anti-cancer agents. hmm so isn't it interesting when you start putting all the pieces together, you, you see that it forms uh, a interesting pattern?
1: You know, Gary, uh, with the um, Casey readings, um, I had never uh, had allergies until Hurricane Isabel, and I had three feet of water through my house. And after that, I developed allergies to cats, dogs, dust, you name it. So the ragweed had never bothered me, but I went to New York for my 75th birthday in August, and I got very congested and when I come back they thought I had pneumonia but it turned out it was severe allergy to ragweed. Well the chiropractor told me Casey recommended tincture of ragweed. Now who would think that you could take ragweed and it would help your allergies to ragweed? Well guess what? I, they cleared up. Then I had some wheezing that cleared up and so You know, that's kind of my philosophy now, and I I think it's yours, too. You take the thing that is least harmful to the body that will take care of whatever the problem is. You know, and that's why, and then you can continue functioning. That's why with the cancer, I took the laotril. But, you know, there's also many, many treatments. Hoxie, I know you've heard of, uh, who's back in the 30s handled more cancer patients than anyone else in the country, and the FDA and the physicians took him to court. Well, they appointed a group of 10 physicians that reviewed all of his patients and talked with the patients, and they determined that he was giving a higher standard of care than anyone else was and having a much higher cancer cure rate. But he still was driven out of the country by the FDA. Then you've got Renee Case in Canada, who was using herbs. Also, he was uh, Hoxie was using herbs, but also Case was using herbs and had a lot of success. And then she was also, you know, uh, harassed in Canada. So it seems like, as you say, if you come up with a relatively inexpensive cure, then you know that's that's not satisfactory because it's got to cost a lot of money so that the drug companies can make money.
0: Well, in the case of Hoxie, there's a little sidebar to that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to do a documentary on on uh, Hoxie, mm-hmm. and there was a Margaret Miller down in, uh, in Mexico who still mm-hmm. followed his principles, and you could go there until she died and get his therapy, and that was within the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Well, He came across his therapy noting that horses when they have any tumor in the body, will eat certain herbs. Mm -hmm. And then by tracking those herbs down and saying that this was common in in the whole area, he then made up some uh, products based upon the herbs that were Mm -hmm. growing wild in those areas. He then consulted with some other herbalists and found that these had anti-tumor and immune-stimulating properties. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole basis. It all originated from horses. Now, in the other case, at the same time, well, no, a little later, in the 19, mm-hmm. uh, 1950s and 60s, mm-hmm. there was crobiocin. Uh, and crobiocin was invented by Dr. Derovic, Stephen Derovic, and his brother mm-hmm. in South America in Argentina. And they brought their therapy to the most renowned cancer specialist scientist in America, the most cited can- uh, specialist in America, Dr. Andrew Ivey. He was vice mm-hmm. president of academic affairs at University of Illinois. He was... Uh, former top guy in almost uh, somewhere around two thousand scientific citations,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and he was also one of the jurors at Nuremberg. He was an MD, um, a PhD, and lawyer. He was just remarkable. He was our uh, he was the medical Einstein. He was the Louis mm-hmm. Pasteur of our generation. Well, what they did they saw that this therapy worked in dogs, and what it was is they would see a horse that was infected with mm-hmm. tumors. They would draw out the blood and the serum, and they would extract this substance called crobiocin. Oh. And then they used that in the dogs, and the dogs had remarkable remissions. So mm-hmm. based upon the dog studies, Andrew Ivy commissioned a human study, and it was so successful, according to the physicians who actually ran it and the patients mm-hmm. in it, and I interviewed them, that uh, Ivy was going to recommend this through the AMA. Well, there was a man named Moore who was treasurer of the AMA at the time. Mm -hmm. Moore also had a major partnership in a pharmaceutical company and Moore said, great, but I want my company to have the exclusive rights of distributing this because this will be the most important anti-cancer agent ever. Mm -hmm. Ivy said, well, I had nothing to do with it. I'm merely the scientific observer. So he put him in touch with the Drovics and Derovics says, well, look, we don't actually own this. It's a syndicate, financial syndicate, in Argentina that owns it, and so you could talk with them. Moore thought he was getting the runaround, and he made a statement. In fact, it was actually secretly recorded, and it came out in the trial. Uh, the head of the Argentinian uh, um, Navy Intelligence Service mm-hmm. met on behalf of Derovic, and he recorded it. And Moore said, quite simply, if I don't get it, I'll destroy it, and nobody will get it, and anyone's reputation associated with it will be destroyed. And the man says, you're going to destroy Andrew drive." the most famous scientist in America? He says, yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened. Andrew mm-hmm. Ivey's reputation was destroyed. There was a major trial. They, they brought Ivy in on fraud, the Derovics on fraud. Well, the trial ended. It was the longest trial in American medical history with the complete exoneration of Ivy and the Derovics. But it broke them. They broke their will, and that was the end of it. Yeah. And uh, there was just a good case where, once again, something from horses— Mm-hmm. which is shown, and by the way, the jury was so enraged by the FDA's lies under mm-hmm. oath that they actually wanted them held in contempt for perjury, but the court, the judge, uh, never issued that uh, judgment. But you can read the transcripts, which I still have, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of that famous trial, and you'll see where the FDA just lied, repeated. Everybody in positions of authority lied. And then years later, I'm doing a tribute, a four-hour tribute to Andrew Ivey. Mm-hmm. He had just died. And uh, I had all the people who knew him and the journalists at the time, Dr. Crane and others, and uh, on the show. And uh, after the show, which is four hours, I'm back in my office at WMCA. And this guy comes up to me and he says, can I have a moment of your time? And I said, yeah, come in. And he's in his 40s, kind of, you know, regular looking guy. Mm -hmm. And he said, I just heard your four-hour special and it really moved me. And he said, I've got to get this off my chest. And I said, what is it? He said, well, I'm in the cancer, cancer establishment. I won't tell you my name or where I work. I'll just say that that I was a part of the Andrew Ivey destruction team. Mm-hmm. We were mandated by uh, Senator Douglas and Senator Javits, Jacob, uh, Jacob Javits of the Javits mm-hmm. Center in New York, mm-hmm. and uh, Congressman Lindsay, John Lindsay your former mayor, and many others. There are about 26 legislators who got together and said we want an independent, objective group of scientists to review carbiasin once and for all. Does it work or not work? If it works, we're going to publicly fund it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work, well, then we won't. And he said, I was selected. And he said, we were supposed to all be sitting reviewing this. He said, they were all thrown in a, into the garbage cans. The well, word that we got was, you don't say a good thing. And when the verdict comes in, you're to say, there's no compelling evidence that it works. Mm-hmm. He said, Every single member of that oversight Blue room panel, um, including myself, did a disservice to humanity. There, he said, there was benefit to curbiacin, but politically, I could not jeopardize my career, nor did anyone else choose to jeopardize their career by being honest. Mm-hmm. He said, I just want you to know that Andrew Ivey was right, the Derovics were right, the doctors on the study were right, Moore was a liar and wrong." He said, and all of us were liars, and we were wrong. Mm-hmm. He said, the world will never know this. You're the only person that I've ever told, and I only told you because I'm sitting in my office today listening to your show for four hours, and I just felt such guilt and shame because right. I, I caused this. And then I think, how many people died who could be alive today because we 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 whitewashed this whole thing? Right. Interesting little side effect, right?
1: Right, and I believe that what goes around comes around call it karma or whatever, and so, you know, the people who are greedy now or who are worried about their position or whatever, that's going to come back to them in some way or another.
0: Well, we don't know that, but what we do know is that the next time the government tells you that a blue-ribbon panel (laughs) found no evidence of something, don't give it all the credibility that you would otherwise would. And I want to thank you very much for being on today.
1: Thank you, Gary. I enjoyed it.
0: All the best to you.
1: Thank you, and you too.